This man has lied to your king, to your pope, but most of all, he has lied to you. Welcome, welcome, y'all. This, this is the finale of the Knights Templar podcast series entitled Holy Warriors. In this scene, there are Templars that are being tried and executed they're about to be burned at the stake by king philip of france take him. as you can hear the crowd is frenzied they're, they're full of passion they've heard all these rumors that have been falsely spread thank you for joining me that once again is a scene from the great history channel show nightfall from the episodes that I've watched, I haven't watched the whole thing. I'm going to go back and watch both seasons. It's a great show, it's, and it's also historically accurate, which is really, really important. For, you know, for an amateur historian like myself, I like historically accurate stuff. You, my, my wife will tell you, like, uh, watching a, a, a movie with me or a show, you know, with firearms or military or battles is really annoying because I'm pointing everything out. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate you guys. This is the finale of the Holy Warrior podcast series, guys. All right, of the Ape Academy podcast. So in the last three episodes, we talked about the history of the Knights Templar, one of the most influential, secretive, and powerful organizations in the history of the Western world. Today, we're going to finish it off. All right, we're going to talk about how they became wealthy how we're going to talk about how they reached their pinnacle and we're also going to talk about how they fell from grace okay um and it's going to be a little bit longer than normal so you guys don't have to sit here and listen to it in one sitting but it's going to be longer because i really want to wrap up the nights although their history you know can go on for volume after volume after volume but i really want to wrap it up and and uh, focus on different things so bear with me y'all thank you for joining me i hope you're enjoying the podcast I'm working on getting better and better and better each episode, so just bear with me, guys. God bless y'all. Let's get into it. Ape. All beats by Organic Dope. Custom for this podcast. This is nice. it out thank you organic dope that's my boy he's an up-and-coming producer from the city of brotherly love philadelphia this music is a lot calmer than this podcast is going to be because their downfall the templar's downfall is quite violent and quite chaotic huh. yeah all right guys Organic, man, he is so talented. I really appreciate him providing the music for this podcast. Thank you so much, sir. Okay, so that opening scene was powerful, right? So you heard the Templar that made these accu that made these confess quote unquote confessions, right? So what they would do, I'm gonna go into this later, but they would find a knight, they would capture a member of the order, they would torture them brutally. The worst things you could possibly imagine, right? Just think of the most painful thing in your mind that someone could do to you physically, right? That's what they did to those guys, and they made them confess of sins, of of all type of blasphemies that they didn't actually do because they wanted to destroy the Templar organization. It was a diabolical scheme, and we're going to go into that in a minute. First things first, we have two sponsors, as usual, Bravo Concealment Holsters. 
Uh, use code APE10, A-P-E-10 at checkout to get 10% off, okay? They offer the best tactical holsters inside the waistband, outside the waistband, tactical belts, tactical magazine pouches. They are a great company. I highly recommend them. The USCCA, United States Concealed Carry Association, the number one, numero uno, uh, Second Amendment Concealed Carry advocacy organization in the country. Please join up today. The NRA is old freaking news. It's time to join the new kids on the block, guys. Great company, great organization. Check out my friend Levi. He's the rep. I will provide his information for you. All right, let's get into it. Okay, so first things first. Um, I want to I want to make a few things clear. All right, so I did two episodes, and the first episode I'm gonna go over the first two real quick. All right, I, I promise. The first episode we talked about the early church, and we talked about the first crusade. We kind of set that historical context because when we talk about uh, important figures in history. We really, really need to set a, a historical context behind it, behind that person. You can't just talk about a person in a vacuum and just, okay, next person, next warrior. No, that's not how it works. Okay, so the Templars are part of our Warriors Through the Ages series that I just started. I uh, started with the Gladiators. Um, so I talked about the Crusades. And I talked about the, the conflict between Christianity and Islam. Now, I want to kind of go over that real quick, okay? Because I want to make something clear. Uh, one of my, fr my good friends listened to it. And I think I might have made a mistake in what I said, all right? So the first Crusades, uh, it was in the 10th century, not the first century, okay? The 10th century, all right? The first Crusades began in 10, around 1095 in that area, Okay? Um, Jesus had been dead for a thousand years, right? Jesus was crucified in around 30 AD, okay? So, but the church was still young. I, I know that sounds crazy, and I say, oh, the church, you know, Jesus hadn't died that long ago. He really hadn't. A thousand years might sound long to us, but in the, in the life of a religion, in, in world history, a thousand years goes by in the blink of an eye, okay? So Judaism at this point was, whew, I don't even know how long thousands of years old okay so um christianity was still really young when um when the crusades happened islam was even younger i mean islam was found in around 600 600 a.d something like that 632 around then um by muhammad okay uh the prophet muhammad um so islam is the is the youngest of the abrahamic religions it goes judaism christianity and then islam okay so Christ, the Christian church had been around for a thousand years. Um, there was only one church, and that was the Catholic church. There was no Episcopalians, no Anglicans, no Baptists, no Lutherans, none of that. It was just the Catholic church unified under the one pope based in the Vatican, which was in Rome, Italy. All right, everyone, I think everyone, pretty much everyone who's listening knows what the Vatican is. It's like a city within a city, right? It's its own sovereign, I think it's its own sovereign country within Italy. Although it's only like a few city blocks, um, the pope, the pope's power is a shadow. It's not even a shadow; it's a speck of dust of what it used to be. The pope had all the power in Europe, and we're gonna see, um, we're gonna see in the in the uh, podcast today, later today, that he had a lot more power than we even can fathom. You know, being modern day folks. All right. So that's what I went over in the first podcast. I, I talked about the, the Crusades, the fighting between Christianity and Islam, because we're talking about all the three, all three of the Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, all had holy sites in the same area. So instead of unifying them, like you would think, oh, you know, we're all brothers and sisters. We're really similar. No, it just made people hate each other more. Right. It's like kind of what's going on today with um, we're all Americans and we're divided, more divided than ever. Did, you think that is bad now? Go back to the Crusades. Go back to the 10th century. <laughs> we would be like, please, please, I, I will go. I will come back to 2021 any day. All right. So it's, it was really, really bad back then. Uh, each religion wanted to 
you know, actually Judaism was kind of out of it. They were kind of on the sidelines. Uh, it was really between Islam and Christianity at that point because Judaism had the smallest number of uh, practitioners compared to Christianity and Islam um, because the, the Jews at that time didn't have their own nation state, right? Uh, uh, the Jews didn't have their own nation state until after the Second World War, right? The late 40s. Israel was really young um, and a really bad ASS too on top of that. But that's a different podcast for a different day. Maybe we'll talk about the ancient uh, Israelite warriors in a different podcast. But they're awesome. Um, shout out to Israel. Shout out to all my friends, uh, my Jewish friends and my Israeli friends. Appreciate you guys. Um, okay, so that's what we talked about on the first uh, podcast, the Crusades, how the Templars came of being, right? Kind of the how the Pope was trying to make up an, an excuse to wage war on the uh, Muslims, right? So we figured that out, right? Episode two, uh, part two, we talked about um, how the Templars were organized, their rank structure, their mission, their mission set, what the knights were, who the sergeants were. Uh, we also talked about kind of how they started to build up their wealth and build up their influence, okay? Um, so this is just a brief summary, okay? So we talked about kind of their rise, right? How they became so popular across Europe because they had properties all over the place. They started buying up properties. People would entrust them with their valuables. So they were they were really the first modern international bank, right? Um, that crossed cross country lines, right? Nations uh, borders. And they were exempt from all local laws, right? The Pope made them exempt. So basically, they didn't have to listen to anybody. That's pretty much the bottom line, right? They didn't have to listen to any local authorities. That's kind of how it was back then. The Templars had a lot of power, right? All right. So today, we're talking about episode, what are we on? Episode 16, guys? Episode 16, something like that. Mo Money. Mo problems. <laughs> you like that? That's you, you guys know that song "Mo Money, Mo Problems" by Notorious B.I.G. Right. So today's episode is entitled "Episode 16: God's Holy Warriors, Mo Money, Mo Problems, The Downfall of the Knights Templar." Okay, that's what it's called. Um, and it's really, really interesting. And it's it's to be honest, man, it was some bull crap. Like what they went through. Like it was all lies. Like it was crazy. Like. I don't know. People just believe it's it's not that much different than today, right? You know what I mean? Like the dissemination of false information, false flags, false information out there, and people just kind of soak it up. So just imagine how bad it was back then when people couldn't read, people didn't have newspapers, people didn't have social media, didn't have news articles, didn't have fact checkers. They got all their news from their local abbot, their local monk, the the tavern keeper. They had no way of verifying any of it. So if they heard a rumor. They just assumed it was true. If like their if their if their uh, priest told them that the Knights Templar were heretics and blasphemers and worshipped the devil, you know what did they have to compare it against? Nothing, right? They were just poor peasants, right? They have no newspaper, they have no internet, <laughs> so it could be completely untrue, right? All right, oh, that's a rant. Anywho, okay, let's let's do this, man. Let's do this. Wealth and influence. All right, let's start off there. With power and fame came influence. All right, so we got a few sources. I'm sorry. We got a few sources for today's uh, episode. We have, uh, what is it, history.net. We have uh, the Knights Templar, the hidden history of the Knights Templar by Conrad Bauer, okay? Um, so those are our two main sources, okay? All right, so with power and fame came influence. The, the fame of the knights kept growing and growing, right? Uh, so this was after the First Crusade. This was in the uh, 11th century, okay? Like around 11, the uh, 1120s, okay, mid-1120s. The original aim of the Templars was to simply protect pilgrims as they traveled across the Holy Land. But they quickly became a cornerstone of the Crusader military. So originally, right, they were just supposed to be kind of like the protectors of just pilgrims, right? They're supposed to protect the pilgrims' wealth, the pilgrims' um, traveling routes, make sure they weren't vandal uh, vandalized, you know, uh, well, vandalized, robbed, beaten up, slaughtered, massacred, 
um, stuff like that. So that was their original aim was to do that. However, that quickly shifted, um, quickly shifted. And, uh, you know, they became kind of like the backbone of the Crusader military. They became like, uh, like the cream of the crop of the, of the Crusader, uh, Crusader armies. Okay, so they were like the shock troops. They were like the guys who came in there and smashed up the enemy, right? And then just went home and, you know, they they, they came, they saw, they conquered, right? That was the, their role kind of evolved into that, all right? Um, with their ranks growing from the richest and most powerful families of Europe, right? And with bases all across the region, meaning the Near East, the Middle East, the Christian inhabitants of the Holy Land soon became dependent on the order to lead the defenses of their most sacred sites. So like I just said, right, they were supposed to only guard the pilgrims when they traveled. Now they have to literally guard every site that they had, every sacred site. Okay, And the Christian inhabitants, they had to rely on the knights because the Crusader army would kind of... They would they would they would uh, gather together. They would vanish. They would gather together. They would vanish. They would go to their four corners of Europe, right? And the only presence consistently around were the nice Templar, and there were only like I said in the last episode, there were only like five hundred of them, so they really weren't that many. Okay. Uh, historian John Robinson described the Templars as the largest standing army in the Christian kingdom. So they basically were 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 deep. They were super deep, right? They had thousands of members. Remember, most were sergeants, and remember what sergeants are. Sar sergeants are non-knights, right? They're members of the Knights of Templar Order, but they're not knights. The knights were a very, very small group within another small group, okay? Um, thanks to the, all the flooded riches and all the, all the wealth coming in, uh, the, the Templars soon became the charity, the favorite charity of the church, of any Christian, right? So if you're rich, if you're famous, kind of like today, right? All the celebrities, they donate money to certain charities, right? They, they go to these galas, like the Met, what's it called? The Met, the Met Gala or Met Gala or whatever. And they wear these weird, funky looking outfits and they donate all this money and they raise awareness for like climate change and all that crap. That's kind of like what the Knights Templar became, right? They became like a, a charity that the rich could give to and feel good about themselves. Like, oh, we just we just gave the Knights Templar two castles, and then they're like, oh, everyone claps, and they did their do their duty as a Christian, right? So now, okay, my sins this past month are gone, right? I just gave to the Knights Templar, all right. So that's kind of what they became. So once they got, so they're they're getting so rich, right? You know how when people, like in rappers especially, they always rap about how people say they change once they start getting money, how their boys like, oh, you change, you're different. In this case, that's exactly what happened to the Templars, all right? So they can't have any rap songs coming out saying, yo, we didn't change because of the money. No, the Templars changed because of the money. They didn't change their piety, right? They didn't change their commitment to God or, or their, their status as Christian knights, but what they did, they changed their mission, right? Their mission the money changed their mission. Does that make sense? So when they were poor, right, they were just guarding pilgrims, right? They were just poor old knights, dusty knights, doing God's work, not getting any recognition. But once they started getting that bread, once they started chasing that bag, they stopped, they started to spread themselves thin. They started to, they stopped caring about just protecting the pilgrims and then they started protecting the bag, right? They were focused on protecting the bag now. Um, and this was what led to their eventual downfall. Because like Biggie said, more money, more problems. The more money you get, the more haters you get. The more haters you get, the more attention is drawn to you. The more attention that's drawn to you, the more haters you get. Right? Makes sense. It's like a merry-go-round cycle. And in medieval Europe, a brutal, cutthroat dirty nasty place oh man if people hated you and especially the wrong powerful people you, you man they'll cut your they will stab you in the back in an alley they will cut your throat they will lie on you and there's no fact checkers remember there's no internet back then all right uh that's another rant 
All right, so the Templars had a they had a papal endorsement, and they didn't have to pay taxes, and they didn't have to obey any local laws. So what do you think they did with that? What do you think? So just give Jeff Bezos, give uh, Mark Zuckerberg, give uh, Elon Musk the endorsement of the United States government. No, they don't have to pay any taxes, and they don't have to obey any federal laws. What do you think they're going to be? They become rich as heck, even richer than they are now, right? So the Templars took this opportunity to become the bank, the bank of the medieval world, all right? They were it, all right? Any member that joined the order, they took vows of poverty, and they donated all their worldly belongings to the order, all right? So as soon as you signed the dotted line, boom, everything you owned went straight to the Knights Templar. They took everything. They took control of everything. So they now had rights to your property, okay? Because you were supposed to take vows of poverty, right? So what you're doing is you're giving to the organization, man. They're giving to the organization. It's not your money. It's their money, right? Um, these possessions, and, you know, add these personal possessions to the gifts, donations, business dealings, and don't forget the military success, Right, so they're getting loot, right? They're getting booty. <laughs> Not that type of booty, you know what I mean? They're getting booty, they're getting loot from these um, military conquests in, during the Crusades and just kind of protecting pilgrims, fighting Muslims. You know, they're, they're, they're taking the treasure, right? Whatever they could find for themselves, right? And, and whatever cool artifacts they could find that, were, that was worth money, they would have people, that, they were going to battle, right? So the, the, the Knights Templar were going to battle. They would have their little group of knights, of armored knights, and they would have their sergeants, right? And then with the sergeants came a whole bunch of people who were just looking for stuff. Like, like, like just imagine, like, you're going in the club with your entourage, right? And you have a whole bunch of boys with you. And then there's a bunch of boys who are just looking to, like, looking for things that can, that can give you an advantage. Like, looking for, you got guys looking for bottles. You got guys looking for girls. You got guys hanging up your coats. You know, you got, so that's what the Templars were. Like, they had people around them that were as they were military campaigning they would go around and look for for artifacts for 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 riches for cool stuff to add to the templar's pot right uh, okay uh so they had now had a massive amount of wealth and owned a vast powerful internationally recognized infrastructure the templars positioned themselves as an institution that the nobles of europe could trust in legal dealings and also trust to use as a bank. For example, when a nobleman wished to join the Crusades, he knew that he might be away from his home for a really, really long time. So he had to entrust his wealth and his power to the Templars. Okay? He could place his business dealings under their control. Um... Uh, and with the Templars watching his wealth, it would it would be safe. It would be safe for him to reclaim when he returned from his crusades. Okay, so it's like a bank, right? Like you put your money in a savings account because you know you're leaving the country or whatever. You just want it somewhere safe. You know no one will get to it. That's what these nobles did, right? They want to go fight, go to crusades. Okay, I'm rich. Here, guys, take my money. Hold on to it. Watch it. I'm going to go fight so I don't have to carry it around. Right? You don't want to carry around your, your, your gold everywhere, a bunch of like goons following you everywhere with, with chests of gold, right? Give it to the Templars, let them watch it. So soon, most of the Templars' military resources were focused, instead of focusing on protecting the pilgrims, they were focused on, protest, on protecting the wealth that they were entrusted with. So their mission had completely freaking changed, all right? So... Now we're going to talk about some of their battle attacks, their military stuff, because they weren't just bankers. They were also great fighters, and that's kind of the point of this warrior series, right? We want to talk about their fighting uh, prowess, right? Their fighting uh, tactics, right? So their battle tactics. So every knight, right, was, was skilled in the use of a lance, a sword, or a crossbow, so they had the sergeants, right? And the sergeants were also well-trained. But we're talking the knights right now. The armored knights were like the special forces of the medieval European continent, right? They were, were experts. So just imagine like a Delta Force guy, right? Delta Force, okay? 
or SEAL Team 6. Yes, right, they're great fighters, and they do suffer some losses. Tragically, you know, God bless them. They do suffer casualties in war, just like the Knights Templar did. But on an individual basis, they are the best fighters, right, out of the military. Same thing with the Knights Templar, okay? They're skilled in the lance, the sword, and the crossbow. They're heavily armored, right? They had these huge horses, right? Gigantic horses, right? Armored horses, okay? They were well-equipped, okay? So what they often were, were used as, as they, they, they were used to protect the flanks, right? So what the, what the generals of the Crusader armies would do was put them on the flanks or put them at the rear of the army to protect the rear so, so no one could encircle them right and take them from behind right um because in medieval europe in the medieval hand-to-hand battlefield if you could flank someone or you know come up behind them your army was instantly shattered because you're fighting on two fronts now people would just panic and run okay so they were the most well known for their for their really really powerful and disciplined and terrifying cavalry charges right they call them the squadron charge so what they would do is they would group together in these tight you know, beautiful formations, like they drill it all the time, right? These tight formations, and they would just charge through the enemy fortifications or formations, smashing holes in the enemy's battle lines with their lances, their swords, their axes. And then their sergeants would follow behind them and fill those gaps. And the medieval, you know, the foot soldiers from the other contingents of the army would e- exploit those gaps that the Templars created in the enemy lines, right? So anyone who knows every- anything about cavalry, about ancient battlefield tactics knows that if you had heavy cavalry in the medieval world, you had a huge advantage. All right, huge freaking advantage. It was like anyone, and you guys, anyone who's listening who knows about battle tactics from that age will, will is probably shaking their head right now. If you have heavily armored cavalry on a medieval battlefield, you had an advantage. All right, it's almost like if if you had uh, like a like a combined infantry battalion like with tanks and infantry and you're going up against a light infantry battalion with only infantry you're gonna have the advantage right because you have tanks so the knights were the medieval tanks they're armored they were moving super fast their horses were huge they were well trained (laughs) you couldn't penetrate their armor unless you got close to them and you had to puncture it or hope blunt force uh blunt force trauma could cave in their head but i mean good luck right you know, they could kill eight, ten of your guys before you even wounded one of their one of theirs. So that's kind of how it worked, okay? Um, and they were also really, really disciplined in camp. So they were great, great roommates to have because they were super disciplined. They took care of their stuff. They were clean. They're cleanly. Uh, they didn't leave their stuff around. They had squires that would make sure they cleaned up everything. Uh, there were they, they were harsh punishments for any knight who was caught slacking off. Which was it just didn't happen, right? Nice and slack off. But if they lost his their sword or their horse through carelessness, they were expelled, kicked out of the order immediately. Like for some reason, they lost their horse because they were weren't paying attention. They fell asleep on guard, and the horse ran away. Or someone took their sword because it was really shiny and had really nice rubies in it. Then they were instantly kicked out of the order. Crazy, right? All right, we're at uh, 28 minutes. We are going to take a quick break give me a minute because I have to take a break for our musical interlude ape So, what were we talking about? 
we're talking about the military prowess of the Knights Templar. Okay, that's what we were talking about. They were masters of strategy, and they were masters of battlefield medieval tactics. They fought hard, all right, and they slaughtered the enemy. They were used as a vanguard, right, and as a heavy shock troop. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right. Thank you so much for joining me, guys. Appreciate you. Okay, so what are we talk about now? We're talking about the military prowess of the Templars. They were masters of strategy and they were masters of tactics. All right? They believed that a smaller force could beat a larger force depending on the conditions of the battle. All right? So it just depended. It depended on how the conditions were, if the right conditions were met, right? And if you planned well and you had a good strategy. Because there, remember, the Knights were always outnumbered, there weren't that many of them. Uh, one of the Templars' greatest victories was the Battle of Monty's Guard. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Against the uh, feared Muslim, Muslim general Saladin. That was in 1177. Okay, so 26,000 Muslim warriors stood against only 500 knights in their supporting units. Um, so he had the Christian forces trapped in a small coastal town. But, right, the, what the knights did was they uh, tricked them, right? They set an ambush. While the Muslims were looting and pillaging a local village, they were stretched really, really thin. So the knights unleashed an ambush, close quarters, ran off the Muslim army, routed them, slaughtered them. Saladin retreated with only 10% of his original force of 26,000. So that was a huge victory for the Christian forces, all right? So that's just an example, right, of the, the, the Knights knew that the Muslims wanted, Saladin's forces wanted to pillage the village, right? And they knew that they would be spread thin. So they launched an ambush, they, they popped the trap, they used their tactics, their shock factor, right, their, their discipline and their shock factor to take control of the battle and win the battle, all right? So that's just an example of how great the uh, Templars were, all right? So, now, all right, this is gonna be the fun part because this is really when things start getting interesting, right? Their mission changes, all right? We talked about that. Their mission changed once they got really rich. You know, after that battle against Saladin, after that huge victory, they became even more infamous, even more famous, more wealth flowed in. That's, that's kind of why I mentioned the battle because it was a really kind of a turning point because it showed, okay, like, it doesn't matter how few knights there are, they're going to probably win the battle. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So we need to give more money to them so they can get they recruit more. All right. So originally, right, the mission was to protect pilgrims traveling to the Holy Land. The mission shifted to protect the wealth of the pilgrims, okay? What the Templars would do is they would start to issue, they started issuing a form of credit, right? So pilgrims didn't want to travel with everything they owned. So instead of protecting the lives of the pilgrims, the Templars focused on protecting the wealth of the pilgrims. See, that's a, that's a you got to listen to that carefully, right? So remember, the initial mission of the, temple, of the Knights Templar was to protect pilgrims traveling to the holy sites. Now, it's like it's a subtle change, right? Now, the knights were focused on protecting the wealth of the pilgrims, okay? Because they had this, this system set up, right? I'm about to explain. So what they did was they issued a former credit, which would later evolve into what is now known as the modern bank. So this is ingenious. Listen to this. A pilgrim could visit a Templar institution in their hometown and deposit before they left for, for, for the Holy Land and deposit their all their money and their valuables, right? So, so you, you know, say before I travel to Jerusalem, I go to a local Templar uh, hangout or Templar uh, headquarters in Philadelphia, and I'm like, hey, man, hey, guys, I'm about to go to the Holy Land. I really don't want to travel with all these gold coins. Here, take it. For, can you watch it here for me, okay? They'll say, sure, brother, no problem. 
we got you, right? So they would issue in return for my gold, they would issue me a letter that kind of inventoried everything I gave them, right? Saying, you know, I gave you 50 gold coins, I gave you two uh, exquisite paintings, I gave you, you know, whatever it may be, okay? And this letter could be taken to any other Templar institution and it would allow the pilgrim to withdraw the money from the amount that they had any money, right? So say they wanted 10 gold coins out of their 50, right? They would take this letter and they, they would allow them to withdraw money from the amount that they had originally deposited. Isn't that genius? Now, obviously, it doesn't sound genius now to us because we have banks. But back, but back then, no one could do anything like that. It was cutting edge. Um, it, they were really ahead of their time. So now the pilgrims did not have to carry their wealth around with them, which made it so much easier to travel, right? And it also didn't make them as big of a target for bandits and uh, attackers on the road, right? On the long road to Jerusalem from wherever they came from. They, they weren't targets now because they weren't carrying around everything they freaking owned. You know how like when you pack your, like when you're moving and, you know, you're moving all your stuff and it's, it's a long day and it's like nine o'clock at night. And you still got your car full of stuff. And your mom, your dad say, hey, make sure you go get that stuff out of the car. Don't leave it in the car overnight because it could get broken into because it's a target, right? Someone can come up and see all this stuff in your car or in your truck or whatever. Same thing with the pilgrims, right? There were targets carrying around all this gold, all this valuables, the silk, goats, horses, whatever. They carried everything they owned because they had nowhere that back in Philly, right? Back where they were from, they had no one that could watch over this stuff that you could trust. But guess what? The Templars are men of God. They're monks. You can trust them. All right? Um, so the Templars were able to communicate in code. So they made use of this complex encryption method in their bank, in their bank notes, in their uh, ledgers that no one has been able to crack to this day. No one has been able to crack the Templar code. The code was a cipher, right? So they took the common alphabet and they converted it using secret techniques. Right, so secret Templar, and this is this is where we get into the conspiracy theories. This is where we can really go down a deep dark rabbit hole, um, but, <laughs> but we're not going to do that. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole. They used the Maltese cross as one of their main symbols. Now, let me describe the Maltese cross. It's a cross variant, basically. It's developed from the earlier forms of the eight pointed crosses in the 16th century. They're cross variants. And they represent different bloodlines, and they're used in a so basically like, like a a different cross, like different types of crosses. They use all type of cross variations in their codes, right? So it was really popularized in the 16th century, but the with the Knights Templar were the first ones to use it way back in the 1200s and in the 1300s. Freemasonry, ever heard of the Masons? The Masons are a, are a really famous, not so secret, secret, not so secret nowadays society. You can you can freaking excuse me, drive around Houston to see trucks with Freemason symbols on the back of their on the back of their windows. So it's not super secret anymore. The code has never been broken, and it never, probably never will be. All right. So the rise from poor monks to international bankers gave the Templars power beyond anything they could ever imagine in the beginning. So when they sat down with the original nine members, they would have never imagined that they would be this powerful and this wealthy. And it was like a dream come true for them, you know, uh, just to be that, to go from a dusty headquarters to having huge castles in, in France and Portugal and Jerusalem and it was amazing. It was amazing in uh, a rapid uh, ascension to the top, all right? So less than 100 years from their formation, they were one of the most powerful groups in Europe, if not the entire world. But the cool thing was they were still, they were still shrouded in secrecy. No one knew anything about them. Even though they're the most famous and wealthy order in Europe, in the world, no one really knew their inner workings. The, the, the members were so disciplined, like no bullcrap. Like, I mean... No one knew their secrets. No one knew what they actually did. They had an idea, right? They knew the basics, like how they cut their hair, what they're allowed to wear, kind of like the stuff I said in episode two. People knew that, but they didn't know any of their secret rituals. Their military contributions were quickly overshadowed by their economic power, their, their true power, right? 
they, they were really, really great on the battlefield, but their true power came from their vast wealth and their land holdings. That's really where all the power came from. Just like in today's society, the rich, the money is power. Money and influence is power now. Not really the strongest or the most muscular guy or the coolest guy with the most girls. Now it's the person with the most power, the most influence, with the most money. They can always get the girl later. But guess what? Like Biggie said, right? Mo money, mo freaking problems. With more power, with more money came more attention. And with that attention came negative attention and came a lot of hatred, chiefly from one man. And I'll explain that in a second. So, let me explain. Let me start here. In medieval Europe, it was literally impossible, right? So, this remember, this is the dark ages, man. It was life sucked. I mean, like, I mean, I'm not gonna, be, I'm not gonna blow smoke up your guys' butts, man. Life in medieval Europe was hell. Okay, like if you if you weren't an aristocrat or a knight, you your life blew. Like it was terrible. All right. <laughs> And in that world, it was impossible to build up such huge sums of wealth that quickly without attracting any hatred or any envy because not a lot of people had a lot of money. You think there's not a lot of rich people now? It was even less back in the medieval Europe. You, so you talk about the one percenters, you know, one percent of the population makes over, what, 150,000 or something like that, 200,000. Take that one percent and divide it by like a thousand percent. That's how many, that's how few rich people there were in medieval Europe. <laughs> there was uh, it, one, like, it was like a small group of families In each country that were rich So the Templars had a ton of enemies man Not only did they have their sworn enemies right, The Islamic uh, regimes in the, mid, in the Mideast In the Near East They also had more shadowy enemies And that wanted a piece of their pie They wanted the Templars wealth for themselves And they made some powerful enemies Because guess what a lot of people were in debt to them. A lot of people owe them a lot of money. Okay? And guess what that does? That, that makes you a lot of enemies. Um, they were still super strong militarily. But they were really starting to cement their place, their importance as bankers. Okay? Um, you know, obviously, they were heroic on the battlefield. Their, their battlefield heroics and courage were, were legendary. You know why? It's because they refused to retreat from battle. The, a, a knight Templar did not retreat, period. Didn't happen. So they weren't going to get routed, right? They might get killed. They might lose battles. They might get slaughtered. They might get outflanked. They might get outfought, but they're not going to run away. That's one thing they're not going to do, and they're not going to refuse a fight. Okay, so their refusal to retreat from the battlefield made them some of the most fearsome opponents you could face on the, in the medieval world, right? They fought from the front lines. They fought in the front. They didn't. They weren't like chilling in the back. Like, oh, you know, I think we'll. I think Joffrey. I think we'll go in now when the battle's won. No, they're in the front line. Like Alexander, you guys know King Alexander from Macedon, uh, Macedonia. He was fighting in the front line with his troops, inspiring his troops. That's what the Templars did. And while they were fighting, the like I told you before, the non-military uh, folks. While these battles were going on, while this military campaigns were going on, the other people were going out and they were finding artifacts and cool stuff, right? And loot and treasure that they could add, kind of like the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, like how all the treasure, like the Indiana Jones movies, those, the sergeants that weren't fighting, like the lay people, the, uh, the servants, they were out looking for like, like the, the Ark of the Coven and shit, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, stuff, I can't, I can't curse. <laughs> sorry, Apple. They're looking for like those cool trinkets, you know? All right. <clears throat> All right. So this is when things start getting hairy. The Second Crusade. The Second Crusade was not good for. The, did not go well for the Christians. Saladin really whooped their butts. Um, really bad. Uh, and this is where like the haters of the Knights Templar were like, they suck. Like all the people that like commented on my photos on my IG, like. They were they they weren't even good fighters, man. Saladin whooped their butts. I'm like, yeah, Saladin took his licks too in the beginning, but yeah, the Second Crusade did not go that well. Richard the Lionheart, Richard the First of England, did well, right? He really kind of it was more of a stalemate in the beginning, in the early parts of the Second Crusade. 
But then, like, the Christians just lost control, and they, they got driven out of the Holy Land. One of the crucial battles was the Battle of the Horns of Hattin in 1187, and a Crusader army got massacred. Uh, their leader was not good at tactics. They were actually terrible at tactics. And this battle was actually depicted in the movie Kingdom of, of Heaven with Orlando Bloom. Check it out. Uh, uh, um, search for it on YouTube. Look up Kingdom of Heaven Battle. And you'll see, like, it was in the middle of a desert. The Templars overextended themselves, and they were terrible at tactics. And they got exposed, and they got surrounded, and they, a lot of them got um, got executed and beheaded. So they, they lost control of the Holy Land. Eventually, they lost control of Jerusalem. And this was much later in the Crusades. And they got expelled, and the Christians never regained control of the Holy Land until after the Second World War. So... Uh, this wasn't all happened in the Second Crusade, but the Christians would never again control Jerusalem. Like after the Second Crusade, the uh, Christians were were done with Jerusalem. Right, the the Islamic world had control of that area for a long time. So fast forward to 1305. Now I know, oh, well, you didn't cover this, Chase. I'm like, I don't have time to cover the entire history of the world. And, you know, I want to. I'm trying to make these podcasts short and enjoyable. You know, I don't know. Want, want, want. Nah, it's not going to be me, all right? 1305, King Philip of France. What a bag of crap. Like, dude, I don't even know this dude. This dude's been dead forever, and I do not like him. He's a little snake, dude. I'm telling you, like, King Philip the Fourth of France is a piece of ish, okay? He was jealous of the Templars. He was in debt to the Templars. He knew that... He was in trouble. He was in a, in a battle, in a war with England at the time. So King Philip IV of France grew suspicious and envious of the order. who And he, he championed allegations of devil worship, paganism, blasphemy, homosexuality. And he spread all these nasty rumors, right? Because he knew that he wanted a piece of that pie, right? The, the balance of power was swinging. Remember, France is a proud country. It's an old country. It, they considered themselves the center of Europe at the time. Now they're a bunch of, you know, you know, I'm not going to talk about them, but yeah, they were, used to be great warriors, okay, a long time ago. Um, while most people agreed that these rumors that he was spreading were false, but they were just damaging enough that the Pope sent a letter to King Philip like, yo, what are you talking about, dog? Like, wait, do you have any evidence for this? Because you have to remember, there was no internet, there was no phone cameras, right? There was no recorders. So if a powerful man, a rich man like the king of France said this, this, and this, people had to take it seriously. They had to because he was the king of freaking France, right? That's a, king, The king of France back then was like the president of the United States now, right? When the president of the United States speaks, everyone, the world listens. That's how the king of France was back then because France and England were the two powers in Europe. And it was really France that was dominating at the time. So King Philip had been waging a very expensive war with England and had gotten deep, deep, deep in debt with the Templars. Super deep. He couldn't get out of it, and he knew it. He was drowning. So what he did was he used these allegations that he made up. <laughs> How do you... Man, you know, I wish I could do that. I wish I could get out of paying my gas bill by making up an allegation against a gas company. Like, oh, they cut my gas line. They're racist. They called me the N-word. So I don't have to pay my phone bill or my gas bill. Same thing with my phone bill, man. T-Mobile, they, they're Man, they don't got good servers, man. Every time I drive through Arkansas, they, they don't have any servers. I shouldn't have to pay my cell phone bill. It's like, no, that's not how it works. But that's what he did. He used these false allegations to put pressure on the church and the order. And he did this to try to free himself from the debt. In addition, right, so on top of the debt, on top of the wealth of the Templars, all the girls like the Templars, they're taking his girls. No, I'm playing. They, they, they were a celibate, but... You know, the, the people loved them. They were rich. They had properties all over his country, right? Not only did he owe them a ton of money, but he was there about to build a freaking castle in the south of his country, like a major operation, like a major headquarters in France. He was like, oh, heck no. Y'all ain't, ain't about to move up in here, man. I'm, you know, I'm tearing you guys down. That's it. I'm tired of these MFers, man. I'm tired of them, man. Screw them. That's what Philip said, right? So what he did, what did he do? He figured, okay, so there's a religious and also a political motivation behind this. The religious motivation was that 
Philip could by spreading these false rumors and then right saving the people from the rumors that he actually made up. So he's the instigator and he's also the savior at the same time. So he he he's trying to play this uh, two sides of the same coin. He's trying to be the the person who started it and the person who ended it, right? That's his that's his plan. So Philip the Fourth was like, okay, I have a religious motivation. One, what I'm gonna do is. I'm gonna bla- I'm gonna spread these rumors of blasphemy against the Templars, and what will that do for me? Well, that will do for me. It will it will make me look like I'm the defender of the church, like I'm saving the Catholic Church from these sinners, from these heretics, from these witches, from these darks warlocks that are in the, the Knights Templar. I'm saving the Catholic Church. I am the protector of the freaking Catholic faith, right? I'm King Philip. You know me, baby. I'm King Philip. I'm the <laughs> I'm the protector of the Catholic faith, man. Come on, man. And uh, so what that would do, that would make him really powerful within the church power structure, right, within the, the, the structure of the church, and it would make him look really good to his people, and that's all that mattered to him, right? And it would get him out of debt at the same time. And that was the political motivation. Get out of debt, cancel all his debts, take their wealth, use their wealth to fight England. Because England and France have been fighting for freaking ever. Holy crap. This, this like, acts, this, this uh, allied stuff in the, in the 20th century, like, in World War, oh, France and England are buddies. France and England were freaking arch enemies for forever. They were worse than the, uh, the Yankees and the Red Sox. I mean, they were slaughtering each other for hundreds of years. It's just ironic that now they're, like, best buddies, but... So back then, King Philip knew that he had to get, he had to get the uh, edge on England, and he had to do that by getting his money back from the Templars. So Philip's persecution. <clears throat> All right, Philip decided to preempt the Pope's investigation with his own freaking investigation. <laughs> How? Okay, so 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 guys. All right, let's slow this down for because I'm rant, I'm going a little fast. So let me explain what Philip did. So what he did was he knew he was like okay. The Templars have all my money. They're too powerful. They're too great militarily. I can't fight them head to head. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to spread sneaky, false rumors. And I'm going to investigate my own rumors. So he started the rumors. And now he's sending people to investigate his own rumors. So what do you think is going to happen? He's going to prove the rumors to be true, right? So he wasn't, gonna, he wasn't about to wait for the Pope to start his investigation. Because the Pope wrote him back in a letter and was like, King Philip, your excellency, I will begin my own investigation. And Philip was like, nah, scratch that, Pope. I'm going to do it first. You go ahead and sit there. I'm going to take care of it. Don't worry about it. I got it. I got this. So Philip decided to preempt the Pope's investigation with his own. He launched an operation to have groups of Templars, French members, arrested. So remember, like I said in the last podcast, most... 5,000 of the order's members came from France. So most of their members were from France. So he, he had a bunch of them arrested. So the, the Templars, were, there was a knock on their door to kick the door in. They whisk them away, and they go torture them, right? And like I said, just imagine the most brutal, vicious, painful tortures you can imagine. That's what they did on those guys and gals. God, God bless them. Um... Philip did not target the frontline soldiers, of course, right? Because they would fight back like any coward. He he uh, targeted the the non-combatants, the people who who were less likely to fight back, right? The non-military people, the day the guys who were running the day-to-day operations, right? The groundskeepers, the servants, the carpenters, the priests, the uh, the the financial guys, the financial whizzes, right? The nerds, right? The guys focused on the economics. Right, so under torture, so remember in the, the beginning scene that I that I played, how the guy was tortured and they made him confess. Under torture, these members confess to tendency. You know, they call them heretics, heretical tendencies, and they confess to all type of offenses to God and the church. All right. After they confessed, they were immediately executed. So they confess all these terrible things. That they did. They said, oh, we did this, we did that. And then afterwards, choop, off goes ahead. You know why? Because if Philip didn't execute him right away, maybe five years later, someone gets a hold of him and they say, that was all a lie. Philip was lying. He was feeding me lines of bullcrap. 
and he made me say it, so he had to have them eliminated immediately. What he wanted to do, excuse me, he wanted to pull the confession out of you by whatever means necessary. If he had to chop off all your fingers, if he had to pull out your fingernails, pull out your eyeballs, cut your guts open and, and wrap them around your own neck, he would do that to get a confession, and then he would finish you off. So as soon as he got that confession, he had his little scribe writing it down, your exact words, boom, okay, I'm done. Yeah, you're done. Can you let me go now? Nah, you're good. Chop, you're dead. Next, bring the next one in, right? <clears throat> so these were, uh, okay, so Philip used these torture sessions, confessions to launch a series of accusations against the entire Knights Templar organization. So he wasn't just targeting the French Knights, he was targeting the entire organization. Let me, I'm, th this is a list of his accusations, okay? So listen, listen up, y'all. The Knights require new recruits to spit on the cross as part of their initiation that the new recruits were then stripped and their navels pro <laughs> sorry <laughs> this is ridiculous the, the new recruits were stripped and their navels and posteriors and mouths kissed so aka homosexuality right that was a big sin back then it's not now so please lgbtq community don't get on me but back then it was seen as a has an affront to god right the order told new recruits that outlawed lusts, right, sexual practices were in fact natural and practiced regularly. So, like I just said, homosexuality, sex outside of marriage, things along those lines, okay, that were outlawed in, in Catholicism at the time, that were normal, perfectly normal, having sex with animals, perfectly normal, right? The cords used by members to tie their robes were wrapped around false idols and worshipped. All right, so they're pagans, right? Worshipping false idols. And lastly, the members did not take part in mass, which is that's like the tamest one. Like, oh, they didn't go to church. Oh, they worshipped the cat. Yeah, they had homosexual sex. Yeah, they uh, they were stripped naked and kissed. Yeah, they spit on a cross, but they, the, real, the real kicker, they didn't even go to church, dude. Uh... So, in addition to these charges, Philip's agents, they obviously exaggerated everything, right? They were accused of worshiping a three-faced cat, denying Christ, urinating on the crucifix, and worshiping the devil. So, they took it from the ones I just read off to like, ah, oh, and they peed on a cross on top of that. So, over the next few years, over 140 French Templars were arrested, tortured, and often executed. Almost all of them confessed to the charges, whether true or not. They always say, this is one thing you, you hear in the military a lot, people will admit anything when they're tortured. They'll, they'll admit to killing their mother. They'll admit to hating their mother. They'll admit, uh, tortured, they'll, people will say anything. The Knights, during, while this is happening, they desperately sought the Pope's help. Like, yo, please, they're writing letters, they're visiting them. We need help, we're being persecuted in France. No one's doing anything. We've served you guys for 200 years doing Christ's work, and now you turn on us? Pope, you know, he sent a little bullcrap letter. It was it was half-hearted, and it, he didn't really care because the the pope of the pope, um, the old pope that championed them had died. So this was a new pope, and he didn't really give a crap. Uh, so these rumors were nasty, man. It it created a huge scandal. Like I said, remember these peasants, the people who made up of these medieval countries, they didn't have internet, they didn't have newspapers. They got all. Pretty much all their news was gossip. Like, just imagine if your auntie walked in and all your news you got from your auntie. And her, your auntie got the news from the usher board. And the usher board got the, got the news from the minister's uh, wife who got the news from her. You know what I mean? Like, it's like everything was gossip. Like, they're, all their news was gossip back then. So the Pope was Pope Clement. <clears throat> and... Uh, under pressure from the public and from King Philip IV, Pope Clement laid down the Pastoriales Permanente, essentially a death sentence to the order, right? Pretty much killed the order. The Pope decreed that every monarch in Europe should arrest every Templar they could find and seize every single freaking asset they had. All right, so pretty much they were like, we're seizing freaking everything, okay? And, you know, even though the Templar, even though they knew that it was false, that this stuff was false, they still did it. 
they still arrested uh, the Templars in mass in Germany, um, and Italy, and obviously France. Um, but the order still lived on. Um, in Portugal, actually, the order all they did was change their name and they continued business as usual. And people say, "Well, what happened to the army? What happened? To, I thought he had a massive fleet. I thought they have a big army. A lot of the Knights Templar." They were taken in by other orders, like the uh, Teutonic Knights, and or they vanished, or they or they fled into what the Church called the Wild Country. Right, so the Wild Country was Scotland, so Scotland was not under Church's control, and there are rumors that a lot of the Knights relocated to Scotland and Ireland. Also, they relocated to the Middle East. Right, so the Holy Lands that they shed so much blood in, the Templars now retreated to in their time of need. Right, to get away from the from the power of the church, right? The church had all the influence in Europe, but they had very little um, power in, they had no power in Scotland and Ireland, and they had very little power in the middle, in the Mideast because it was a very turbulent area. It's called the Wildlands by the church, all right? So they, they retreated there. A lot of them just melted into the community. And this is where all the secrecy starts, like all the secret conspiracy theories, like what happened to them? Like how the frick... Does it such a rich and powerful organization? They grow to such worldwide prominence in like 200 years, and then they get dissolved overnight, literally within a course of like a decade. They're gone. No one really knows. No one, there's a lot of rumors. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of um, ritual. You know, we got secret societies dedicated to trying to figure out what happened to the Templars. Some say, you know, they're they're now they're rich and powerful. The descendants of the rich and powerful are Templars. Some say that. You know, they hid their their wealth throughout the, the world in different places, kind of like the movie National Treasure with Nicolas Cage, where he's looking for like different like Mason, you know, Masonic symbols and the, the Templar. And you got Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, looking for the Holy Grail, look, <laughs> you know, the Ark of the Covenant, stuff like that. So there's all these legends around the Templars. And, you know, I'm not going to go much further into it, you know, because it can go on forever. But King Philip IV of France was the beginning, right? He wanted power for himself. France was on the brink of collapse. He knew that the people needed an enemy. They needed an easy target. And, you know, like they said, uh, what did Harvey Dent say in Batman? Uh, they'll love you long enough what is it, to hate you or something like that. To, uh, live long enough for the enemy, for the good guy to be the enemy. Something like that. I, I butchered that. But you, know, you guys know what I mean. If you guys ever seen The Dark Knight, that's kind of like what Batman became. Right, the hero turned villain, right? That's what the Knights Templar were. And it was just pure jealousy. That's all it was. It was there was no evidence. People were like, Well, people are commenting on my Instagram to this day, like, Well, the knights worship the but I'm like, those are all rumors. They still exist. It's twenty twenty one. There has never that has never been proven. All that crap is hearsay. It's made up. These people admitted this stuff under torture. And people still like, well, the knights were Satanists. They were, they were pagans. Some guy wrote on my, one of my pictures that the Knights Templar were pagans. I was like, that's never, they were, they were warrior monks. They weren't pagans. That was never proven. But Philip's mission was, was accomplished, right? He wanted to sully their name. He wanted to throw mud on their name, to dirty their name, but put some mud on their name so bad that people would turn against them, and the Pope eventually did that by issuing that decree, and he had to. He felt like he had to. He was a coward, too. No offense to all you Catholic folks, but you know he didn't have any backbone. You know He caved to public pressure and the pressure from Philip of France. Um, we can go on and on, but you know, 1305 is the beginning of the end for the Templars. The Templars declined from there, and really, no one really knows what happened to the organization. They kind of drop off the face of the map. And like I, like I said, a lot of other knightly orders took in the Knights Templar and used them to strengthen their organizations. And they also fled to different countries that were not under control of the church. So this is going to be the end of the Knights Templars, y'all. I hope you guys enjoyed the Holy Warrior series. This one is entitled More Money, More Money, More Problems, The Decline and the Downfall of the Knights Templar. I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. 
Uh, thank you for joining me. I'm sorry if I rambled a little bit. It took a little bit too long on that break. I had to get my notes together. Um, and uh, I just hope that you're enjoying this historical kind of uh, journey we're on. Uh, please rate, review, uh, subscribe. Please, let's run these number ups. My goal in a year is I want to break into the top 100 of educational podcasts. And I think with your guys' help, we can be just as big as all the major podcasts out there. I promise to you I'll keep getting better, keep adding new wrinkles in, working on my on my endurance with my voice, on my tone, on my inflection, on my rhythm. It's not as easy as it sounds, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoy history as much as I do. Lord knows I love it. Love y'all. Stay safe. God bless you. Ape. Organic dope. This beat is fire. Thank you for Mr. Or- <laughs> oh my God. Thank you, Mr. Organic Dope. Sorry about that. Stumbled at the end. Remember, stay vigilant, stay safe, stay motivated, put God first and your family first, and stay positive. All right, so stay on the lookout. Be on the lookout for the next. Oh my God. I've gotten so much positive feedback for this. We are talking about the one. The only Aztec Empire of Central Mexico. I have a lot of Hispanic buddies. I know you guys are going to love this. They're so cool. They're so mysterious. Their culture is so interesting. And we're going to get into that, guys. Look out for it coming soon. Eight. Yo. Ape out.